Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast for another week. Proudly sponsored by Subway. Get your mid-match feast delivered fresh. Subway, eat fresh. Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly back to talk you through the weekend of footy. Bit to digest, Jake, as the makeup of the eight starts to take shape, but there are a few twists left, we think. Yeah, it's um, just looking at the last 27 games. We were literally just doing the uh, yet another uh, ladder predictor it's good before fun, we isn't started. It? it is. Every week we do it and it just keeps changing. But it's um, it's exciting. But as, a, as three Carlton fans here, it's a little bit nerve-wracking because at the moment... We might be finishing ninth. Yeah, uh, a bit to play out, but we'll probably talk about the Blues and their run home and and any sort of, any, any anything and everything associated with them. They've got me tongue tied. That's how sort of disappointed and bitter I am about the weekend. Uh, but we are going to talk about the Blues. We're going to talk about the Lions. Both disappointing results on the weekend. We're going to look at which teams are nailing the premiership metrics uh, with just a few weeks left. We're going to discuss some recent retirements and a whole lot more. But before we do, something you noticed from round twenty, Christian? Anything take your fancy this week? Well, yeah, we've uh, spoken about player ratings a fair few times on this pod. We've got a new player ratings leader uh, for the season, which might surprise most people. Clayton Oliver was the leader, um, I think, for probably about 12 or 13 weeks. He'd held that mantle. Uh, and Marcus Bonson-Pally has uh, overtaken him after the weekend. The Bont. He started the season in a bit of a hybrid role, a bit of the forward and then a bit of mid. Jake, you were lamenting the fact that he wasn't being used in his best position, but he seems to have now transitioned back a bit and is now being the guy that we know that he can be. Yeah, I think there was a bit of a fitness issue at the start of the year. He's ha- I don't think he was 100% fit, and that was probably why. But as I've said a thousand times on this podcast, yeah, your best players have got to play around the ball. Um, and yeah, look, he's he's been certainly been better in the second half of the season. The thing with Bond is he kicks goals, and that's the thing. When he was playing forward, he was kicking goals. Um, some of these other players that, that coaches try and push forward and play them and spend more time in the forward line just aren't that great around goals. But he, he, he does have good goal sense and kicks. I think he's kicked goals in all but one, one all game. All but two games now. So again, it's interesting that he went to number one on the ratings after finishing goalless for just the second time this season against Geelong. But I think he's... Again, I'll, I'll give you some numbers to pump him up. He did go up to number one in the ratings, just probably because James H did such a good tagging role on Clayton Oliver. Uh, but yeah, Bonspelli, again, I feel like the talk maybe four or five weeks ago was he just wasn't quite up and going as much as he had been in previous years and had been a bit disappointing. But again, I think it's that one of those uh, quality over quantity. So he's had over 30 disposals only twice this year, but as we said, only two games where he was goalless. He's the only player in the whole competition. These are pretty low averages, I would have thought. I just punched in, all right, to average at least one goal and five tackles per game. No other player is doing it besides him. Plus, you can chuck on an extra score. He's also averaging over one score assist per game. Um, so he's a one of only three or four non-forwards to be averaging at least one goal and one score assist per when game. When you say score assist, it's not, a, it's not an involvement. It's a direct assist. Direct, so yeah, the, the uh, disposal uh, leading to the guy that's scoring the, the goal or behind. Um, so again, he's been involved in 32% of Bulldog scores, which is the sixth highest percentage of anyone in the comp. Um, and the one I looked at is, yeah, when he launches a score for the Bulldogs, so whether he either, you know, wins a free kick to start a chain, wins an intercept or wins a clearance, the Bulldogs score 34% of his chain launches, which is number one of the top 175 players for total amount of chain launches. So yeah, he's, he's sort of one of those ones we know how well he uses it at the pointy end of the chain, um, you know, hitting the target and things, but even his starts of chains actually get enough value that, you know, one in three of them, no matter where he's starting the chain, end up in a Bulldog score. So uh, probably a little bit of a surprise that he's gone to number one in the comp. But again, I thought three or four weeks ago, there was a... Yeah, again, I think I heard it on the 
might have been on the commentary of the game that he was playing that he just hadn't had a, as good a season as he usually had. Um, yeah, number one player in the comp, yeah, according to us. In my opinion, I, I don't think he's. I don't even think he's close to being in the All Australian team. So to have him number one, may, do I need to reconsider? I think there's been seven or eight midfielders that are comfortably ahead of him right now. Yeah, and again, it's just you know, and we've looked at all Australian teams in previous years of the midfielders that get put onto a half forward flank just because there's an overspill. He's he's genuinely one that you can look at Maybe and say, well, he might not be, you know, you, you, your starting centre bounce midfielder, but surely if he ends up on a half forward flank or on the bench as an attacking midfielder, you'd be happy. But again, as I said, looking at those numbers, they they say he should be one of the starting three midfielders in the team. Pretty sure Dusty's been named on a half forward flank in all Australian seasons in years gone by, hasn't he? It's just uh, easy to. Yeah, I mean, players like that, Petrarca even, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he was pushed to sort of a half forward. Uh, Jake, anything from the weekend take your fancy? Yeah, a few things, but the one that was something that I really did notice at the time, and I thought I'm going to make note of this as a something I noticed well, for, for, this, for this segment, because nice. I usually don't, <laughs> was in the Melbourne game. So the sub in that game was Cade Chandler. He was the sub sitting in the back row of the bench as we often see the sub I don't know if, is, do you know guys know if that's actually a rule I tried the to sub... look it up but it's I've looked at the AFL as in the Australian rules um, rule book instead of the AFL one so I don't know specifically if they have to sit behind looks them like they again, always I've, do I've, I've made the comment on even the, the guy that gets subbed off I've seen always them goes to and the I've seen them when they are sitting on the front one get a tap on the shoulder and sort of the, yeah. Yeah. hold to move to the back so whether it is a ruling thing or Maybe not it is. Sure. Uh, yeah so um yeah, I don't know if it is a rule or not, but he's obviously sitting at the back. And I've never seen this with a sub before. Obviously, we only see the vision when, you know, maybe a baby a player kicks a goal and they run to the bench and you kind of see the bench for a few seconds. So you don't, you're not, I'm not looking at it all the time, every game. But from what I've seen, I've never seen a sub, particularly a player that's played so few games, be so animated Hands on. and Every time a player was coming off, he was ta- he was he was giving them a, a, a tap on the shoulder and congratulating and just really good energy. Yeah, I, sure. I, I saw a, sh- a few shoulder rubs he was giving yeah. a few times as well. So I know, I noticed the same thing as Jake did. I just I've never seen a sub. Normally the sub player just kind of sits there a bit toey, looking a bit even a little bit dejected. Maybe that they're not playing, holding the ball, not really doing anything. But I've never seen um, a sub with so much energy on the on the second row of the bench. And I just thought. More of good that? sign. We like that? I, th- I thought it was good. Yeah. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I, I can't say I've, I've watched the subs a lot when they're, you know... When, when well, that's what I mean, TV, but from what but, I've seen, yeah. Uh, nice to be involved, even if you can't be involved, and, and whether that's a coaching directive or something that he's taken uh, the, the initiative on, it is good to be involved. I mean, you might as well have that, that you know, quote-unquote yeah. extra player, even if they are yeah. on he, the bench and, and not technically playing, to be to be part of it. Hey, the, as we know, this, if you're the sub, that counts as a game. So you're technically playing, whether <laughs> you well. get on the ground or not. So you've got to have impact in some way. Well, I wonder if you get best and fairest votes for being a sub that is Could you get a Brownlow vote for being a sub if you're just really (laughs) Really getting behind your players? (laughs) Uh, Look, my something I noticed, I really hope that Noah Cumberland has a really good cardiologist for later in his life because the start to his career has been unreal. Uh, And it's been touched on in other parts of media, so I'm not the first to this by any means. But have a look at his five games that he's played. He was the sub against Sydney when he first played earlier in the year. They lost by six points, the Tigers. Mm. Uh, His next game uh, was the Gold Coast Suns loss. Lost by two points. They then lost to North Melbourne by four points. They then drew to Fremantle. And on the weekend, the Tigers beat the Lions. With his... With with him involved in one of the last chains of play. Uh, And then against the Lions on the weekend, they won by seven. 
So all single figure or no figure results for him in his early start to his career. And he's been involved in every single one of those games. He's been really good. And we were having this discussion yesterday, I think, Jake, about just the impact that he can come on from limited opportunity, but being to be involved in the game. Mm. And look, I think it certainly helps him playing with someone like Jack Rewalt. We are talking last week about Rewalt, if he takes that mark, not to not to dwell on it again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, playing with a really smart, experienced key forward in Jack Rewalt. Obviously, Tom Lynch back back there now as well, so it helps him. But he's shown the ability to find space in the forward line with those two guys there and to kick goals and kick five on the weekend. Um, really talented player. I didn't think, if you said at the start of the year we'd be talking about Noah Cumlin on the podcast two weeks running, I don't think I would have believed it. Well, he's the rising star this week. Um, had a really good uh, start to his career, and we, we hope it can may, long may it continue for him because I think he's had a few setbacks with some knee injuries and other stuff like that. So uh, good for him to get involved. Uh, look, there are good stories everywhere about young players up and coming, rising stars we mentioned. But on the other flip side, this is about the time of year, Jake, where we start to see some retirements start to roll in. Uh, we saw David Mundy was announced yesterday that he would be hanging up the boots for, for Fremantle. Uh, with Josh Kennedy this morning, Tuesday morning, if you're listening to us uh, on Tuesday. Uh, and also Stephen Motlop from The Power, showdown winner, 217 games. Uh, some big names that are exiting footy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yesterday, getting the seeing the news of... David Barramundi was... Uh... One of your favourite players. And the listeners of the pod will know this, that Jake has been obsessed with David Mundy. So I must ask you, how are you feeling about it all? Yeah, a little bit little bit down. I actually thought he would play another season. Uh, look, he, let's be honest. Last year, he was fantastic. He was really, really good last year. This year, he's been okay. He hasn't been as good. But he's been good enough to play on. I don't think... Someone like Stephen Motlop, I think his drop-off's been a little bit more noticeable. And I think Kennedy, we all sort of expected this was going to be his last year. Um, but I thought Mundy would go on again, particularly with Frio around the mark at the moment, you know, top four-ish side. So, yeah, it was a bit of a... bit of A little bit of a shock and a little disappointed. But at the same time, does he come out and say, I'm retiring, to try and get that last push from these players in the in the last... A few games potentially get top four, and then who knows in finals yeah. go out with with the ultimate prize. Yeah, be interesting thought. Yeah, exactly. When do you announce it and the timing of it? When do you when do you sit down and talk to the coach about? So you know, Longmuir might have known three weeks ago, mm. and they might have both been keeping it under wraps till we get close. Yeah, it, good point in terms of See, when do you reveal? Crucial it. game this week against the Dogs. It's just like you yeah, know, on the we, road need yeah. a win, poor performance on the weekend. It makes a lot of sense because then you look at someone like. Kennedy, who's going to retire after this match, which is a home match against the Crows, because yeah. the week after, I think the week after they play Frio in a derby, but it's an away derby. So it would probably make which sense Which is to... kind of... Why wouldn't you just play that too? Just to travel oh. all the way to the other side of the field for the other <laughs> yeah. rooms. But, but, but that way, at least you can have, sort of say goodbye to the home fans. So that makes a lot of sense yeah, when, you're, yeah. a bit, when you're a bit further down the ladder. And so then do you think Motlop might be doing it as well, just to uh, inspire his side? He might not even be playing. It depends if he, he has a spot. Might be the sub. I think he's been yeah. a sub a few times. Um, on Monday, we yes. had some very, very rough calculations on this. Mm. Um, look, 371 games. When you think about how often he would have to travel for preseason games, for regular season games, you know, yeah, some are a bit shorter to Adelaide, some are a bit longer to Gold Coast or Brisbane. So we averaged it out to be a Melbourne flight mm. every time. So 2,700 kilometers there and back. Over the course of his career, we, we roughly calculated he's traveled more than a million kilometers on planes. Isn't that just unreal to think of yeah well I when when we were talking about this I, I kind of just said is there anybody that's done the the east coast to west coast uh, journey of Australia on a plane in the last 
17 years more than David Mundy. And I said, I don't think there is. And then Christian came up with a name. No, I, st- I stole one from the broadcast on Channel 7 on Friday night where they mentioned Dennis Cometti did the same thing as a WA uh, resident. Called, yes. Came over here for I guess uh, he was 20 doing straight every, years. Every, and did, yeah, every did, Friday did, night. Yeah, Friday night, Channel 7, Saturdays, wherever Triple M were, um, you know, back when they were actually covering games from the venues. He was part of that. So, again, not, not in the last 17 years, but in the... Mm. In the fifteen twenty before, with he was... respect to Dennis, uh, he didn't have to lace up the boots <laughs> as well and do that for, for for seventeen seasons and play to a high level and competitive level. Yeah. He's going to finish with at least three hundred and seventy five games, um, a few three, frequent fly points, three more, yeah, three more for the year, and then at least one final. It's been an incredible career for for David Mundy, and we it kind of got us thinking. We, I know we've spoken about him a little bit in previous years about who is on the Mount Rushmore, the Frio Mount Rushmore. Who are the four best Frio players in history? Yeah. And I think the the two obvious ones are Matthew Pavlish and Nat Fife. They're, mm-hmm. they're obviously on there. And then it's like, who are the other two? And the two that I think are Mundy and Aaron Sanderlands. Do you guys agree? Uh, yeah, I think i take Aaron Sanderlands off for Paul Hazelby. Um, again, I... I I probably have Paul Hazelby, no disrespect to Mundy or Sandilands. I probably have Paul Hazelby comfortably as my third in line for the Freo one, and then you t- sort of yeah, most of raffle and four. But yeah, happy to have Mundy probably ahead of Sandilands at four. How many games did Hazelby play? Oh, captain of the club, yeah. long term, long term, long time player. A couple of knee injuries in the middle there did as well. Did he play two fifty? So he would he would have got there, but as I said, he would have been around for three hundred and fifty worth of games because of his knee injuries yeah. and things. I think like my that. initial thought was without without thinking too forensically about it was Hazelby over. Sandlands, but Sandlands does make a good case. Mm. It'd be fun an exercise to do for all, all clubs, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's a bit easier for Frio because we were starting '95, so it's mm, not recent history. It's yeah. not as it's hard to go back and do some of these teams when you're looking at players from the '50s and stuff. <laughs> we were briefly hypothesizing about Hawthorne and what a tough gig that would be. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe another episode or maybe yeah. online, espn.com.au <laughs> forward slash AFL. Uh, Josh Kennedy. Again, another well-travelled key forward. Yeah. Um, his output over many, many years uh, since being traded from Carlton in the infamous Judd trade. Yeah, don't think anyone, a- any Carlton supporter back then could have imagined he would go on to kick so many goals for West Coast. 750 goals? 718 all up. 718 goals. Um, so far, one game to go. Yeah, like last game against Adelaide at home, kicking the ball, he might get 750. <laughs> um, yeah, just been a great player. And I think, you know, the, the, the Judd Kennedy all, all that trade has, has been done to death but I think you can say look it was a win-win for both clubs at the time you know I think you can say it's a win-win but but West Coast has to be happy with how that that panned out they got one of the, the, the club's greatest ever forwards and won a premiership with him played in another grand final and he's just been a great player yeah, for about, 15 years talk about this this morning I have West Coast winning now because at least West Coast can lay claims to we had Judd at our club and he played some great games for us and we had Josh Kennedy come yeah. and win two Carlton only got value out of one of them yeah. type thing because of the timing of the trade yeah. but probably one of the underrated things that I looked at for Josh Kennedy's career two Coleman's no club BNFs which is a bit of a surprise but Again, it's not a huge, hugely rated sort of uh, honour, but three All-Australian teams, two vice-captaincies of those All-Australian teams. So not quite captain, but to be a full forward and just to be a spearhead goal kicker, to be recognised at the end of the year, to be sort of vice-captain material in the best team of the year, I think that's an underrated part of his career. Incredibly consistent for a large output. Mm. Um, you know, had seasons where he kicked 80 goals, 75 goals, this kind of stuff. The thing that really surprised me, 84 Brownlow votes over the course of his career. Yeah, Um 
yeah, a lot of the, a lot of forwards like that. You know, Jack Rewalt, Buddy Franklin, Tom Hawkins. Throw on the two or the one. Well, if they have, they usually get threes or nothing. They'll 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 kick six and be the best player or not really notice. But no, he he's been a great player, really good kick for goal. Um, and yeah, as I said before, I think we probably expected he would be done this year. Mm, fair it would enough. be nice to see him play. So they're playing away. I think they play in Geelong. They played Geelong last round. West Coast. West Coast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In Geelong. Yes. We were talking about the Charlie Kerno thing. That's right. Yep. So, yeah. So, it does make sense that this will be his last game. Um, and, yeah, wish all these guys best of luck in the future. Um, I know. It, and it sounds, when you talk about some of these guys, like like Mundy and Kennedy, Motlop, 217 games. Like, there's no career to sniff at whatsoever. A showdown winner. I mean, I mean that in the literal sense of the word. A winner on, on a showdown. Yeah. Uh, one of the best moments you would probably think for a Port Adelaide fan. And, and uh, obviously a great career for Port over many years as well. Absolutely, and you'll be, you know, those moments, that moment in the end, at the end of that game, will be played, replayed forever. And you've always, you've always got that that moment to to say that was me, and I did that in a showdown. Like, how many players can say they won a showdown off their own boot? Robbie Gray six times, and and um, <laughs> Stevie Motloff once. Monday's only just announced his retirement. You're already back on the Robbie Gray bandwagon. Yeah. Uh, look, we've put this off long enough, seventeen minutes into the pod, but the Blues, Jake. Oh, and Christian and myself. Uh, is it too harsh to say that that's a potentially season-ending loss to the Crows? No, not at all. It is. It is exactly a potentially season-ending loss. The two games that that really sting. I think the St Kilda game was tough, and I'm speaking as a as a fan here. Um, the St Kilda game was tough, but the Adelaide game was worse. I think. Really, uh, definitely. So again, I'm probably with you. The two as a, as a fan, St Kilda and Adelaide were two tough losses. But looking at the St Kilda loss, it was a really weird one. We again don't put a lot of investment in it, but we won expected scores, won contested possessions, clearances. We sort of played, we sort of played a bit over the top of St Kilda, but just couldn't get it done on the scoreboard. So there was bad kicking and sort mm. of some bad mistakes made in the back half, which made it a bit more disappointing. We were outplayed by Adelaide yep. ac- across the board, dominated. So that's the problem in terms of at least St Kilda's a few. Th- positives to take out of. Adelaide, there was almost no positive to, to walk away with. Well, Cripps was probably the best player on the ground, but didn't have a lot of support. And it got uh, you sort of hypothesizing, Jake, about the impact that someone like George Hewitt, who's come into the club, mm. and what he can bring to the club and bring to help Patrick Cripps in the middle. And his absence on Saturday night was clearly quite noticeable. Yeah, well, one of the one of the little takeaways I had from the game was the fact that Cripps and Walsh had 81 disposals between them. And we were comfortably beaten all over the ground. That's really worrying. And I don't know where that sort of ranks, you know, I don't know if those two have ever combined for 80, 80 touches in a game, but it was the fact that they had so much of the ball. Um, Walsh played well. I don't know if he had the same amount of impact as Cripps did, but it was really concerning. And I think, as I've said on this pod before, I think George Hewitt has added, has his, the, the, dom, the domino effect of George Hewitt coming into the team, going into the middle, freeing Cripps up somewhat, being able to win clearances with someone like Matt Kennedy, allowing Cripps to push forward, Walsh able to do his own thing, giving support to the forwards. I think it just it, it makes Carlton such a better team. Yeah, you're not wrong. And there were other things that sort of in the lead up to that game that sort of drew eyebrows as well. And Christian, you'd probably be able to find this for us. But I would suggest that Jack Silvani's having a career best year for the Blues. Uh, and he was dropped in the lead up as well. Yeah, he was. And yeah, he has been in terms of um, for rating points. And yeah, so the role he's been playing, he's been able to get out of the forward line and up around the ruck. But yeah, sort of um, 
I don't know. It didn't it? It didn't surprise me as a Cullen supporter. I probably knew, and, and again, he had been playing quite well. But I just, I was always um, under the impression that as soon as Pitnet was fit, we we're going to give Pitnet and De Conning uh, a chance to play together, and that just left Silvani out. Uh, I don't know if that's the. I, I don't think it's the right decision, but I just knew coming into the week that's how Carlton were probably planning to play things. I think Silvani's versatile enough as a player. Uh, he's not. He's not one of the the top elite A grade players of the of the competition. But he's a player that you can almost plug into any position, and he will not only try his hardest, but I was succeed gonna, at some I was going to say the same thing. There's six players that that played on on Saturday night that don't deserve to be playing over over Jack Silvani. Mm. Um, look, won the Coleman last year. Harry Mackay, interesting kind of player because, and you brought this up, Jake, that you think he might be the barometer for the Blues. Bit of a barometer. I know it's easy to say about a key forward. You know, he goes out and kicks five or six and, and Carlton win and say, oh, how great is he? But even early in games, you can kind of tell that he's he's struggling. We tend to we tend to struggle. The Blues tend to struggle when he's when he's not on. And was it his was it his worst game of the year? There were some very questionable decisions that he made, you know, kicking from a slight angle, 20 out, and trying to banana things. Like, not even, like, snap. Yeah. He tried the, the outside, you know, the banana when he could have kicked a drop punt. Or, look, he, he's a he's a confidence player, it seems, where you almost need to have one on the board pretty early for him to sort yeah. of say, hey, I can take this game. Yeah. Um, they, they both are, him and, and, and Charlie as well. Charlie started well, but the supply just wasn't there. And it all comes back to the midfield and the fact that Adelaide... Just out worked hunting. harder. Uh, yeah, now yeah. worked worked the Blues. Um, and look, Adelaide are pretty thin in the midfield as it is at the moment. We even more so considering Matt Crouch is on the outer at that club and Matt, probably won't play again. Matt Crouch is on the outer, and then Ben Keys, who's plays, been one of the best finds, goes and plays in forward. So you to be to be beaten without those two guys. You know, at the start of the year, you know, well, maybe not quite the start because I don't think people realise how good Ben Keys was. But say round ten. Um, Laird, Keys, and Crouch, probably the three best midfielders at the club. Two of them aren't in the midfield, and we're well beaten. It was really worrying. And now going to play Brisbane um, on Sunday afternoon at the Gabba, where Brisbane don't lose at the Gabba during the home and away season, is really worrying. And and we and as I said off the top, does Carlton play finals? You know, it's Brisbane, and then after Brisbane, it's Melbourne at the MCG. And then Collingwood at the MCG. So you got to win one. And which one's Carlton winning? It's well, hard to find one at the moment. We did the ladder predictor, and one might not even be enough, Jake, depending on how results elsewhere goes. The dogs seem to be in the, the prime position to yeah. take that spot. Especially if they beat Freo this week. If if the Bulldogs beat Freo this week, with games to come against, I think it's the Hawthorne Giants and, and Hawthorne. The they should be winning those two. Um, and they look like they'll make it. Richmond as well. I mean, Richmond... Richmond, it could be, it could end up being Richmond and the Dogs make it at, at the expense of Carlton spots. and St Kilda. Christian, any thoughts on the makeup of the ladder and that run home for the Blues? No, I'm yeah, totally with you. How can and again putting the supporters out on? How can you tip them to win any of their last three? So it's nervous times. Would it be a fail on the season, Jake, if they were to not make? Fail finals? is a very strong word, and it's a very you know black or white way of looking at it. I would use the word disappointing. And and massively disappointing at that. To start the season so well, eight and two, I think we were, um, beating good teams, competitive throughout. And the other thing with Carlton is we haven't really had. Yes, we had those those runner games where we were dominating, and then we got clawed back in the second half. But we've been a team that throughout the whole season 
everyone has spoken about Carlton. Oh, they're they're a good team. They're a chance. They're they're a premiership contender somewhat. We haven't had a period where where we have really fallen away, where we've had a four bad four weeks or something like it's gone that. Win loss, win loss, win yeah. loss. Most most recently, ten ten weeks in a row. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they've also been in the eight the entire season. Yeah. at this point, and imagine the scenes and could the be falling out in round twenty three. So that's why I I know it will be written as a failure, and there'll be headlines, and you know people non Carlton supporters will love it. Your point right there is why I'm not giving... No matter what happens in the next three weeks, I'm not giving this season a failure for Carlton. I'm looking at the bigger picture and saying where we were at, what we were brought in. So we brought in a new coach, new coaching um, you know, new coaching team, really, that sort of put their mark on it and clearly put their mark on it well. We can see what what Carlton's strengths are and what they're trying to do. Um, and looking at the list maker, we're, we're not losing anyone at the end of the year, I don't think, from, from retirement anyway. Who knows how trades play out and things like that, but... There's no sort of big name free agents or uh, guys that are retired. So we got this group to go again next year. Mm. Again, bigger picture stuff. Yes, you want to make finals and everyone wants to live in the now. I'm still, I've, I've already given this season a tick and I'm happy to leave it as a tick no matter what happens over the next three weeks. Just knowing that this, surely this is a three or four year build for Carlton and it would have been great and, uh, you know, fairytale like to have it in year one. But yeah. For me, it's as long as it keeps going. I, year I two think and the three, pass mark at the start of the year was to make the top eight, and yeah. I think particularly the way way we started to not make the top eight is is very disappointing. But I agree with you. We Carlton's not in a rush to but win a premiership. I always thought I always thought Carlton were ahead of themselves at round two, where it's like you've got to make top eight. This is like we're Carlton. <laughs> it's, it's been a struggle for us for fifteen years. Let's just take it a bit slower. Then as soon as we start winning games, we're the real deal and we're in the titles and it's guaranteed. Thought that was a bit yeah. A bit early. And I know you blokes won't be truly off the blues until you start saying they instead of we. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the Lions, we bri- uh, briefly touched on them before. Um, they play Carlton this week at the Gabba, which is a really, really important game for them. Look, actually, you know what? It's actually not an important game for them. I mean, it is in the context of their season, but what the Lions need to do and what is important for them is winning elsewhere because mm. their home record, we touched on this before, Christian, is, is really impressive in home and away games at the Gabba. Yeah, so since the start of 2019, they're 36 of 39 at home and away games at the Gabba. Yeah. So three losses. They're un- almost unbeatable, like the Gabbatois. Um, but their performance on the weekend, Jake, 42 points up against a side that's, you know, neither here nor there, may make finals, may not. So middle-of-the-road pack team. Mm-hmm. And they, they just squandered opportunity. And there were, look, some circumstances. Obviously, Zach Bailey goes out and gets subbed out. Starsevich was a laid out before the game. Um, Darcy Fort's brought in as the sub as a ruckman. Yeah, a bizarre. few bizarre bits and pieces. We've seen this. But we've seen forty-two this. points up. Yeah, yeah. We've seen um, a few a few games in the last month or so where teams have been in commanding positions and lost. Yeah, I was going to say. I thought you were going to say about four weeks ago as well. Darcy Fort was used as a sub. It was the first ruckman used as a sub, and I queried it. Then I'm like. Why have all of a sudden Brisbane used Fort as the sub? We've seen um, a few sides have done. I think we Cox saw Stanley. Stanley was a sub week later, and then Reece Stanley. So it's like this new thing. And then Chris Fagan, when he was asked about it after the game, said, "Oh, we have our own reasons, but I will leave that for now." And I'm thinking, what? Don't you just pick a sub to sort of be a sub the next to go player? It should be a next to go player thing, yeah. unless it's unless they just be, it just becomes yeah. a sub. Then you do it more tactically, but surely you just if you, if you, you've you got a ruckman as most... a sub, you've only got you're only hoping one player gets injured. Yeah, and for, for him to say, yeah, we had our issues for we had our reasons for doing that. So it's like exactly you had your reasons for picking a player that but could only wrong. replace one other yeah. player. 
just yeah. uh, uh, it's a strange strange Bizarre. club at the moment. Look, that didn't help. But as to your point, they weren't twelve points up when right. that, that they were they were seven goals up. They should have been able to hold on and win that game. Just a hard edge that they're lacking. But I think there is a little bit of and something that perhaps the stats don't quite tell, but season on the line and the emotional part of it for the Tigers, where had they lost that game, it was over. With with the with the recent run of form they had, losing to North, uh, losing to Gold Coast in in heartbreaking fashion. Um, who else did they and lose the draw. to? And the draw with Frio, yeah. Um, you know, and then coming out and and playing really poorly in the first half, Brisbane get a lead. And almost at halftime, it was probably... I, I obviously wasn't in, in the halftime room, but it was, must have just been like, we've got nothing to lose now. Let's go out there. And they just came storming back and, into and, it. And the and, other side of thing, Brisbane knew their record at the MCG, yeah. knew they hadn't just won there for five or six shoulder, years. Yeah, so it? as soon as they get four goals, and yeah. now it's three goals, and now it's two goals. So. I thought Lynch, Lynch stood up enormously in the second half. Bolton, obviously... I, 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 I sort of raised this earlier. Is he the biggest barometer player... For a team, uh, I've I've said it before. He can have in one chain of play, he can have more impact than most other players can yeah. across a whole match. If he yeah. was, a, if if he had a, just a little bit more composure in front of goal at times, he just seems to snap one half a second too early, or this just just doesn't quite you know take into account the situation. Him. He, he plays on instinct. He's, he's, he's a hard yeah, player. It's, yeah, it'd be hard to coach t- that, wouldn't it? Sort of. We we want you to sort of have that. Quick shot at goal because probably how you kick him, but, but could geez, turn if you two took five that... into three yeah. three or you know whatever it might be. Like there's yeah. just there's this that there's this thing that he can possibly work on. But you're right, maybe you take away from his instincts and it doesn't happen. But yeah, Barama, that's a fair fair call. I, I think that you can make the case he's a top ten. I'm not saying I agree, but or or have done it. But I think you can make the case now he's he's moved himself into the top ten players in the league. Top five must wash. Yeah, I think he is okay. must watch. He's even higher. Yeah. Going back to Brisbane and sort of talking about how you know, um, you know, we talk about Fort being the sub and things like that. But it's probably the the bigger picture of Brisbane's issues this year. And we said it pre buy they were still winning, they were still second. But we said their defence didn't really stack up to the other best teams of this year and previous years that had won premierships. And now you look at since the buy, especially for them. Um, yeah, they've conceded 90 points per game, which is 14th. You look at some of the other finalists, there's 62, 65, 67 points against and things like that. So almost 20, 25 points worse than the other top four teams. They're the third easiest team to score against once inside 50. Uh, they ranked fourth in this area before the buy, so they were actually good at it. Uh, second easiest team to move the ball from one end of the field to the other. Uh, they were seventh hardest pre-buy. So again, part of that period against Richmond was that the ability for Brisbane just to shut the game down defensively just just take off six seven minutes of the clock and defend they, they couldn't do it for long periods of time and Richmond just got the run on and sort of overrun them and again looking at a weakness that we sort of flagged about Brisbane earlier in the season maybe the Blues can knock them off Jake <laughs> perhaps but um, as you said it's different the MCG to the Gabba is a little bit different um, we sort of touched on it just there but we and we touched on it a bit earlier in the podcast about the premiership metrics and who's doing the right things at the right time of year so we asked you to go away Christian and, and look at maybe the last six weeks of footy um, look at the the stats in which premiership contenders and premiership winners have always consistently been in the top six four firstly I guess just a reminder to listeners out there who might have who might not who might be joining us for the first time might have uh, just forgotten what the premiership metrics are what the stats that really determine whether you're a premiership contender are and who's doing them well and who's doing them not well yeah so again probably the three top ones top you know simple stats are points against scores per inside 50 against and scores from turnover against it's all defense so 
Again, looking at points four, uh, if you're top six for points four in the um, last 10 years, I think eight of the last 10 premiers have been top six in that stat. But all 10 of the, uh, those premiers have been top six in points against. So again, always looking at when you're looking at the offense versus defense, defense always comes up slightly ahead mm. um, in the premiership standard in terms of you've got to be top six in that to sort of win the premiership. And that's why straight off the off the top of looking at the last six weeks, Brisbane is the one that sort of gets flagged for me because they're fourth for points for number one for scores per inside 50. Again, a, an interesting stat, that one. Only 50% of the last 10 premiers have ranked in the top six for scoring per inside 50. So I, I know Melbourne last year didn't rank in the top six of it, so they weren't the most cleanest team when they got inside 50. Mm. They just got enough of it in there and were good enough at their back end not to concede a score. So Brisbane are doing all that front half stuff, as I said, fourth points for, first points uh, score per inside 50. But the important stuff, points against all, each of the top 10, uh, last 10 premiers have ranked in the top six for this stat. They're 14th of the last six weeks. Uh, points against from turnovers, again, all 10 of the uh, last 10 premiers are ranked in the top six for points against from turnovers. Brisbane are down to 14th. So, again, looking at Brisbane and at the end, it, it's that offense side of the ball, tick, but defense wins premierships and at the moment that's their big, um, that, that's their big black mark. But yeah, looking at sort of overall profiles of the last six weeks the two that sort of make me sort of stand up and take notice the most is Geelong and Sydney Sydney's form in the last four yeah, four weeks especially impressive. but going back six weeks as well um, just a whole lot of as I said top six being the number um, you know 85 90% of the numbers I'm looking at are the top four in all the key stats so and we'll probably have the double chance as well, Jake. Give them their, yep. their run home and, and what they've been able to do with them percentage-wise. Obviously, we saw how they just dominated against the Giants, but mm. they look to have the double chance sewn up already. Yeah, should win all three remaining games and lock up that top four spot. And who knows? Um, we'll, we'll get a... That means they'll they'll be able to play at least one game at the SCG. So, um, I don't know. They're looking really good, the Swans. So, so as I said, the, the main one for me, again, number one points against, number one points against from turnovers is Sydney. So, as I said, it's, it's crucial to rank in the top six of that. If you can rank in the top three of either of those, you go a big way to winning. They're, they're number one in both those two. This is a team that is still quite young and quite inexperienced, but they do have finals experience and heartbreaking loss finals experience, Jake. Yeah, they, they've got a mi- they've got a great mix of older players and youth, and the youth is already performing. The majority of the youth is already performing at a high level. You know, a lot of their younger players, Warner, Goulden, Blakey, all these guys, they're, they're all playing well. I mean, they're I, all good players. I know. I mean, Mills and Heaney are probably in your... And they're not veteran, old. Yeah, I was going to say, they're probably in your veteran bracket, yeah. but they're still young in terms the of... The only... Who, who have they got that's old? Parker and... Mm. Even Parker's like 30. Kennedy's been the sub. Buddy, Kennedy, Sam Reed. <laughs> Sam Reed's still <laughs> playing. Yeah. Um, you know, pa- Papley's been in fantastic form. They're... A really dangerous side. Really dangerous. And that's why they got three of the most dynamic players across it. So Nick Blakey, one of the most attacking, especially in recent weeks, he's just been phenomenal. Yeah. Chad Warner out of the middle is just one of the best sort of clearance to score players that's going around. And then you've got Tom Papley who's just tearing it up in the forward line. So all three lines have been Where do they... If, if, if we say right now, I think we'd probably agree Geelong and Melbourne, maybe in that order, are the two, two favourites for the flag. Yeah. Is Sydney third now? Has Sydney moved to third? Have they leapfrogged Freo, Brisbane, obviously Carlton? Yeah, uh, who I am think I logically missing? that makes a lot of sense. Given what sort of Freo and the, and the worries we've had about them the last week or so. Um, yeah, the Lions we obviously just sort of talked about and, and their defensive issues. Maybe they are the third, the, the number three team in it. And there's no disgrace in that because I think Geelong is 
comfortably number one for now. Melbourne have, have, have closed the gap a, a touch from what it was maybe last week. But then, yeah. But again, the again, just looking at it from just a numbers point of view, I think Melbourne were putting second based on history, not on form. Oh, well, I was going to say, if so Melbourne, Melbourne and Sydney played of, in a grand final tomorrow, who would you be backing? Oh, yeah, exactly. On form. Sydney. If you're playing it by the numbers, it's Sydney at the moment. But yeah, exactly, we give Melbourne just... And, and and they deserve it. We give them all the credit because of their previous yeah. thirty five games. Not yeah. uh, look, I thought Melbourne. I thought Melbourne got back to. I know we're going off topic a little here, but I thought Melbourne got back to really good form against Frio, um, and I expect Melbourne to win big against Collingwood on Friday night. Mm. Uh, any other sides that are either underperforming or uh, overperforming? Uh, again, yeah. So a lot of yeah, a lot of issues on Frio's offense, which I said isn't isn't a massive. Talk um, about it for weeks. Yeah, isn't a massive part of it, like because their defense is so good. But again, some of the defensive numbers of the last six weeks they've dropped from one and two to five and six, so they're on their way out of the top six. So something they've got to just keep an eye on. But as I said, yeah, uh, Geelong, Sydney, clearly top two, and then Melbourne probably a close third in terms of um, in in what they're doing right in terms of the top six. No massive surprises there? Don't think so. Hey guys, we know you love your footy, but perhaps you fancy a bit of rugby too. If so, then why not check out ESPN Scrum Reset, where Sam Bruce and Christy Doran discuss all the hot topics in the game, from Super Rugby to the Wallabies and All Blacks, and even further afield. Available wherever you get your pods. Is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? The segment where I'll say a statement, you guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Pretty simple. Uh, Collingwood must tag Clayton Oliver, Jake. Well, they should because we've seen Oliver tagged twice now by uh, James H in the two f- games against Frio and he's done a really good job both times. Well, the first time was after half time when Oliver had been dominating the first half. Went to him, kept him pretty quiet. Did it again despite the loss, kept him reasonably quiet for Oliver's standards. Um, and you can say, well, why don't teams do it every week? And they should be doing it every week. But the problem is, most teams don't have an option, a player that can actually go and do that role. And that's that's the issue. But this is... I, I, don't, I don't get this. And, and maybe I'm just a little bit far away from the whole club setup. But uh, someone like St Kilda's uh, Marcus Windhager played a few handful of games, yeah. but can be a really, really solid stopper if he's asked to do something like the job he did on Tim Kelly. T- Tim Kelly, so yeah, why exactly. Can't, why can't you just tell a player, all I want you to do is clamp down on this player? How, how hard is that to grasp? Because if you're a midfielder, again, you know where you want a position. Position to... Like combat. I think you need yeah, but if top- you're got if you're talking to Brody Grundy, you say, well, usually we go with a five five midfield setup at the feet of you for a around the ground stoppage, but you're going to have to take, you know, this guy out of the picture, Windhag or whoever it is, out of the picture because he's tagging. So now you've only really got four. It, it does. It just has. I think it has a flow and effect to everyone else's role. If you mm-hmm. know that one guy is just going to be following, he's just going to be going wherever Oliver is. So yeah. if Oliver's not at a stoppage, whoever it is, you know, say it's. Uh, I don't know who Collingwood would use as a tag. I say it's Crisp. Crisp might be at the stoppage if Oliver's there, but if Oliver goes forward, then we don't have Crisp at the stoppage and yeah. we need Dacos to be the one that recognises that and come. So it's like a whole lot of other people have to be aware of what Oliver's doing, not just Crisp. If they were to do it, Crisp is an interesting one because Crisp... Um, Oliver does his best work in close, in tight. Crisp can play him, play him body to body. But Crisp, Crisp's benefit is his ability to break clear and use his run and drive and I don't know if Oliver would be able to go with him the other way so it'll be interesting to see how they approach it um, but yes I, I've, I've said before I think clubs should be putting time into developing 
developing players that can actually do this week in, week out. And it's an interesting one. I mean, just quickly looking at Oliver's stat line in wins versus losses. So he averages one more disposal in losses, uh, 10 more metres gains in losses, uh, 0.4 less clearances in losses. There's not He's a, huge, a consistent player. It that's doesn't what I'm matter. saying. There's yeah. not a huge thing yeah. to say, oh, whenever he gets under 20, we can beat yeah. Melbourne. It's just like, Oliver's going to get a lot of the ball anyway. Well, they lost one of the Freo games and they won one of the Freo games and they was tagged both times. But, he, but his, his raw numbers were down on his averages in those two games. But it's not like you tag him and you're going to win because you still got to worry about... You know, Oliver has a quiet game and then Jack Viney has a maybe his best game of the year. Petrarca steps up. He goes and plays more time in the midfield. So it's not like you stop Oliver and you're going to win the game. But if you can restrict Oliver from getting 35 and 12 clearances and he's getting 24 and 5 clearances, you're getting a benefit from that. Especially because the fact... It's not like Aish just... Aish did nothing. Aish had 27 touches himself. So, yeah, I think I think it's worth doing and as I said, you I think we should be I think clubs should be developing players that can play that role each week. Fair enough. Uh we talked about Frio and the premiership metrics. Christian, I want you to make a, a big call. Frio's flag aspirations are dead. Yes. And I and again I was very quick to jump. The first ten weeks I was big on him, had him in the top four. But you it, were huge on him. Yeah, and but again, look, looking at the last six weeks and what they've been able to, you know, been able to try to maintain what they did for the first ten weeks throughout the next fifteen or sixteen, they haven't been able to prove that they can do that. But again, like Carlton, huge tick in terms of we know what Longmuir's style is going to be, mm-hmm. and we know they're going to be probably the one of the best defensive teams probably for the next three or four years. They're just going to find some firepower ahead of the ball. Get you know. Fife being in and out of the team doesn't help, but there's not a lot there for them to sort of get it right next year to become top three team. If you're a non-West Australian player and you're looking for a new home, do you look at Frio and think, yeah, that's somewhere I could see myself playing some good footy? But yeah, I don't see why not. Um, More so than going to West Coast at this point? I think I think if you're if you're a player that wants if you're someone that wants to move to WA to mm. play, traditionally it's been the other way around, but maybe it's a yeah. I, I think now you'd be more likely to be. Well, it's remember when Tim Kelly went and and and. It was like Freo oh, was barely brought wants up. Wants to go yeah. home. Wants to go home. But it was all West Coast. Yeah. West Coast. Yeah. So imagine if it, imagine if he went now. Imagine if he was going this year. Yeah. Well. Interesting. But yeah. Me. Look, I I agree. I think Freo's season is a tick. Um. But the difference is Freo's going to make finals. Freo's playing finals, and who knows from there? And as we said before, with Monday's retirement. Who knows? It might it might inspire them. I feel like for Frio to win three finals, they're going to have to keep their, their no, they're not going to win three to finals. Sixty points in each yeah. of those finals. It's probably not going to happen. There's going to be one. Yeah. Look, final. I haven't been big on I haven't been big on Frio this year. Um, I've been a little skeptical. I've said a couple of times. I think they lack just a, they lack pure A grade players that can really lead them, especially with Fife missing so many games. Love Brayshaw, but Brayshaw is an ultra consistent player that's going to be working hard both ways. But he's not the kind of player that's just going to spark and and lead a, a win. And I think they just that's just where they're lacking at the moment. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of clubs that, it's that not don't like have their that. windows closing. No, they're not. And like Christian said, they're like Carlton. Their 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 age profile is pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, this one stemmed from a, an office chat that we were having this morning, Jake. Marby or Chol would walk into every team's best twenty-two right now. I think he would walk into. I think he would start. For 16 teams. I think the two he wouldn't start for are Geelong and Carlton. Yeah, strong forward Two teams that sides. have two clearly better key forwards than him. Um, but so you, I, got him, you got him ahead of... You got him in Brisbane ahead of 
to yep. Danaher or Hipwood or McStay. I'm not a big Hipwood fan. <laughs> um, but Bri- look, Brisbane maybe maybe Brisbane's a bit of a fifty-fifty. But yeah, I think he I think call it fifteen and a half teams he walks into. 40- it's amazing because I was going to say Brisbane's the number one scoring team in it, and you still want to you want to add another four, like which is that's what I'm saying. It's good for Chol to sort of say, well, he'd even he'd even get a go- game in the number one scoring side in the comp. Well, he's going to stay is probably on the way out anyway. Yeah, well, he's going to kick forty goals this year. He's kicked forty three twenty so far. That's uh, unreal. Kick, oh, oh, sorry, I'm looking at yeah, I was looking at before. Yeah, so forty, he kicked five on the weekend. So he's got forty three. Right, I th- I thought he kick fifty yeah. goals. Yeah, probably should, probably will kick fifty goals. Seven goals in three games? Yeah, I can see him doing that. Um, incredible effort. And look, he always showed promise that Richmond just didn't have, the, didn't get the opportunity. Um, you know, and ma- maybe Rich, maybe you know, maybe Richmond is another team he doesn't play for because he didn't play there. Um, <laughs> That's and, funny what opportunity does though. Yeah, well. it does. But I think now a player that can kick fifty goals in a year, and we can't really say, and he's doing it at Gold Coast, who are terrible. Gold Coast aren't. Gold, it's not like Gold Coast. This is Gold Coast of old, where it's just like it's a really hard, he's not getting much opportunity. They're, 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 he's getting opportunity and he's taken. He's always been a good. I remember watching him at, at Richmond. He was always a really good, really good casual kick for goal, but he but he rarely missed, especially that sort of thirty to forty meter range. Good kick, good player, good pickup, and same can be said for Casbolt as well. Really for the for the Suns, uh, eleven wins would be their best ever return. They're currently on nine with three games left. So that was the twenty fourteen season, the yeah. infamous Gary Ablett shoulder. I think they'll definitely tie it uh, with a win over North in round twenty three. They played Geelong, which which be tough to see them winning that. And then the other game is against who is it? Hawthorne potentially. Yes, yeah, I think it's Hawthorne this week, um, and that. Look, I think I think they I think it's in Tassie, so it's not a, not an easy game for them. Hawthorne play play well down there, but I can see them winning that one too. So if they were to win two of the last three, um, split, massive split, tick split as well. Season, yeah, massive tick. Again, quite funny when I look at it. Again, looking at the bigger picture, I've been big on Gold Coast, but again, I don't, I don't know how far ahead of the other seasons it is. They were in the top eight, round one and two. And not since. So they've been uh, ninth for a week since, but basically been 11th, 12th, and 13th for every other week after it. We're coming from uh, a low pace, though. Yeah, but 2020, they were seventh in round, at round seven. And as you said, 2014, they were top eight every week from round five to round 16 when they dropped out. So again, yeah, they're coming from a low base, and I think they've done well. But again, I'm probably starting to pull you up on that. Is it the best year in history and things like that? I think it's just a, a good year out of the out of the doldrums of what they were in. But again, 2014 was probably the year where they had more sustained success and were actually up there higher on the ladder for a longer period of time. Finals next year? I think they're going to be around the mark. That has to be their... Yeah, exactly. Whether they already aim for that this year, I'm not sure, but it has to be their aim next year. I think with King coming back, um, hopefully plays the full season, um, I know it's interesting as to what you do with Chol and Casbold and King and how you organise the forward line, but he's obviously going to help them and, and they're going to be better for that. I think... They're they're a they're a player away. I think I think a bit more help in the midfield might be might go a long way. But I've been really impressed with Anderson and Raul as well. I know we were kind of talking about Raul earlier in the year, just probably not finding enough um, uncontested ball. But he's turned himself into an elite tackler, an elite runner. Well, you think Anderson, Miller's a chance for the Brownlow now as well? I really do. Yeah, he's had a, had a last year he was fantastic and I had him as a top five last year probably didn't poll as well as what people expected uh, not just me 
And this year he's been even better in a team that's won more games and been in a lot more closer games. So they're not getting belted in ga- in many games. And I think he's a massive chance to poll well. And I think there'll be an overcorrection with the umpires who probably didn't didn't give him enough votes last year. So those ones will turn into twos and twos to threes. So I think Tuke Miller is a massive chance to win the Brownlow. And right now I think he's a, he's he's almost a lock to finish top. It's hard to say lock for top five because there's so many close around the top. But yeah, he's a in a sort of a throw a blanket over a few of them, and he and he's he's in that conversation right now. There you go. Uh, questions, comments, and feedback always welcome at Footy Tips on Twitter. Gents, thanks for joining me for another week. We'll speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.